maybe toast is a looking glass and we see ourselves reflected in it according to our perception of the world, actually. Maybe, it, maybe toast shows us what we are. I mean, I have no idea what that means, but it sounds cool. Hello and welcome back to Study It Podcast, the Ringer SE. I'm Musa Kwonga. I'm Ryan Hun. Ryan, how are you doing? I am doing well, thanks, Musa. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Any books out this week? <laughs> <laughs> Not this week, no, no. <laughs> Makes a change. It does, it does. Um, I do have a confession to make. Oh um, no, I don't like this. Arsenal had like an undeserved, <laughs> not, not well, I had a, a harsh defeat against Wolves, obviously. Um, and the centrepiece of that defeat, and they played some really good stuff. The centrepiece of that defeat was the, the David Luiz red card, which just felt so brutally unfair, right? It felt, Why are you doing this now? Well, because I just, it occurred to me because you showed me the music we were playing out on and oh, as, yeah. as the song begins, <laughs> as the song begins, I just, as the song begins, I was listening to it and I was watching the David Luiz bow in slow motion. And it was, ex- <laughs> and it's it was very, the, it, it, was it does have, yeah, it, it does have shades of Simon and Garfunkel. Yeah, so the, the music we're going to play out on this week is like the perfect accompaniment to David Luiz falling. And it just felt so unfair. And I thought, oh my goodness, this is maybe in a way the perfect playing out music considering the Yeah, and the title of it's Frozen Laughter as well, which just sounds like super harsh. Yeah, yeah, and it was super harsh. But yeah, mm, so that, that's, anyway. what, that's what I had to say. So yeah, that's that. How, how are you? I'm actually really, really, really good. I like the way you say actually like it's a surprise every week. Well, it's a pandemic, isn't it? So, you know, things are difficult. So what I'm doing is I'm finding the joy in small things. And I went with a, a good friend the other day for a walk. And I've been in Berlin, obviously, for six years now. But I'm still discovering new parts of it. And I went to this gorgeous, like, island. It's a gorgeous island in the east of the city, which I'd never been oh, to yeah? before. Yeah, never been to it before. What was it? And, um, Stralau. Stralau Insel. You've never been to Stralau? I've been to Stralau, but not Stralau Insel, not the Insel. So I've been wow. on the other side of it. I've been on the other side of it, not on that, that particular island. It's, it's just oh, just gorgeous. to clarify, by the way, incel is the, uh, the German word for island. We're not yeah, like, not, it's yeah. like yeah, it's, <laughs> just in case. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Caught me out the first time I saw that as well. Yeah, so it's a, it's a, yeah, incel just means island. And it was really gorgeous. And it was funny because I've got a lot of deadlines at the moment. Uh, a lot, well, don't we always? And oh, look at you playing to the crowd. <laughs> deadlines, I <on> know. <laughs> Deadline. get some tweets about that. Yeah, we are. Oh, moose with deadlines, yeah. Um, oh. Boost on the deadlines. It's a good band name for him. But we, we walked about nine kilometers. And at the end of it all, I was like, God, like everything was lighter. All the kind of pressure was off. And it's amazing that a city like this, it keeps renewing itself. I keep finding new parts that are like enriching, engage all the rest of it. I had a similar experience on the weekend. Me and uh, the great man, Stefan Ersfeld, went for a, for a walk and a coffee. The legend himself. Yeah. And, um, He's like, if you, when you walk around Berlin with Stefan, it's very much like you're getting a guided tour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because um, I've moved to a new, ha- new neighbourhood that I've not lived in since I've been in Berlin before. And he used to live in the same neighbourhood. And um, so we're walking around a bit and he was just like, you've seen this building over here? 
this used to be this and now it's this. And we went up this um, old kind of bunker base kind of thing in, yeah. in Humboldt-Hein in the park. You can see over the whole of Berlin. It's really yeah. great. You can see all, all the way towards East Berlin from one side and then the other side. You can see all the way over to the Teufelsberg and the Olympiastadion and stuff like that. And it was a beautiful day. It was a really clear, uh, I think it was Sunday, so it was really cold, but really clear. It was lovely. But yeah, shouts to Stefan. He's an amazing guy and like he just enriches so many things. Like Dembo, who, who oh, those- he's, he's hilarious, man. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, before we get into the football stuff, obviously some admin because, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. Wright's house went up on Wednesday. Me and Carl Anker joined Ian Wright this week. And um, yeah, thanks for the feedback. Well, for the last couple of episodes, actually, obviously there was some really great feedback on the last one with you and Wrighty. And uh, we talked quite a lot about racist abuse in the latest episode and Carl and Wrighty did obviously an amazing job on that. And yeah, quite an important conversation, I think. And um, yeah, it was a great conversation. And then Wrighty broke down some of the weekend's finishing, which was just... It's masterclass, wasn't it? That's my favorite Wrighty's House episode so far. Like, it's really, really fun, yeah. The range nice. of all the topics that all of you got into, the way that you, all three of you discussed the issue of race and the way you all discussed the issue of finishing and football and movement was just unreal. I, yeah, I, it was it was my favourite episode. Really, yeah, it was cool. Um, obviously, yeah, we hope everyone's staying safe and well. Hope everyone's doing okay. Stadio Outro's playlist is on Spotify. Had a few people hit us up saying, where can I find the music that you play out on? It's in a nice handy playlist search Stadio Outros on Spotify you will find the playlist every single tune we play out on each week most recent one at the top you follow it it will automatically update each episode and yeah shouts to the really good label Efficient Space based in Australia they gave us the uh, okay to use their stuff as well now so we've added a new label to the stable phenomenal any other admin oh yeah your piece went up on the ringer it did oh yeah I need to share that again yeah you do I do. Uh, we need to post it on the Stadio account as well. We do, yes. <laughs> we do. What's it about, Mooster? Um, so there's a character in the Great Tarantino movie from 95, because a lot of people here are not as old as me, Pulp Fiction. And um, yeah, in Pulp Fiction, you've got that character of the wolf who basically comes in and just sorts out the mess that the protagonists have made. And I figured that in football, you've got a character like the wolf who just comes in and no matter what mess the team makes, they're there to play cleanup. And so I basically composed a team of 11 players who are each the wolf to their respective teams. And I picked it from the last five years. A lot of players getting a lot of love there that maybe don't get it so much. So I hope people enjoy that. Wicked. On to today's show, um, because there was an obscene amount of football this week. So we're going to let the questions guide us through this week. And we'll do a couple of quick summaries of some various bits that happened through the week. But yeah, yeah. let's get on to it after this. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles. 
because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. All right, man, before we start, just wanted to comment on an email we got from James Algy. I hope I've pronounced that right, James. I hope he doesn't mind me reading this out. He just, uh, he mentioned something at the, end, at the end of the email that I think is worth reading out. He said, tell Musa that toast is not elite. It's literally just a way to eat aging bread. Although I agree that an upscale, naturally leavened artisanal loaf turned into some kind of bougie avocado toast would be elite. But toast, the concept, is not. Toast in a diner is often the cheapest thing on the menu. Maybe toast is a looking glass and we see ourselves reflected in it according to our perception of the world, actually. Maybe, it, maybe toast shows us what we are. I mean, I have no idea what that means, but it sounds cool. <laughs> <laughs> what does it mean? Nobody knows, but it's, it's provocative. It gets the people going. <laughs> That's the kind of thing that you'd say on Scroobius Pip's podcast and he'd just be like, bloody hell, Musa. So deep. Actually, you were on that. We forgot to mention that in the admin. You were on Scroobius Pip's latest podcast. Distraction I know, I know. Pieces. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very good as well. I had, uh, this week, I did a podcast with you on Monday. I called you later that day. I called you on Tuesday. I spoke to you on a couple of calls yesterday. Then spoke to you on the phone for two hours. We were on the phone after that whilst watching football. Yeah, yeah. Why don't we do, how did we do that? And then I listened to distraction pieces and now I've got to do a podcast with you today. Honestly, man, I love you, but like I've had enough. <laughs> this is too much. <laughs> Sky. <laughs> I think Guy. It's <laughs> like, cannot fucking move for Musa Kwanga nonsense. It's just talking. It's releasing. It's always releasing stuff. <laughs> yeah. Oh, damn it. Okay, right. Let's move on to the football. So, I mean, we had a few questions about, obviously, the Southampton game mm. well the Manchester United Southampton game yeah yeah so the first one comes from Matthew Marks who runs a Southampton podcast this kind of did make me smile he said how is Southampton Rob doing at this difficult time so I sent Southampton Rob this and uh, we were actually texted about the game so he said I can read his thoughts out because I said it was a bit of an anom- anomaly mm. and he said hmm, twice in two seasons feels like not an anomaly but Due to the lack of available players this time, no funding, etc. Last time it was Ralph's naivety. I'm not too down, but could have done without this result in fairness. Yeah. Which yeah. I think is fair. Yeah. Shout out to Robin. All Southampton fans um, who'll be feeling this. As a Manchester United fan, I'd just like to say that I think that Paul's, Paul Ansorge said it best, who runs the superb, no question about that podcast, one of the best Manchester United podcasts out there. And Paul said, I think, significant. I think the major thing here was that United didn't hit their foot off the gas mm. and they maintained the intensity from start to finish. I think, you know, funnel up at half time and to finish with five in the second half um, was really, that, that, that was in, in terms of the continued desire. We haven't really seen that from United much in the last few years. Yeah, they were ruthless. That was ruthless. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think there were a couple of tactical issues. I don't want to go too much into it because I don't want to leave the point, rub it in for fans who are hurting. And I think that again, this, 
there's not what's a bit of an anomaly. And there were some really bad refereeing decisions, I think, in my opinion, that kind of changed the course of this game or not, not changed the course, but accelerated Lampard's decline in a way that was a bit brutal. But just to say, I will say the one thing I would maybe be slightly critical of, I know there's a very, very early red card, but if there's any team you'd trust to be a bit more intense than most went down at 10 men, it would be Southampton. Um, and Southampton with a 4-4-1, I still think might have caused, I expected slightly more problems, I suppose, than, I, than they posed. That's the only thing I would say. Um, but then again, Manchester United were really smart in not taking the bait. They played with Fred McTominay in the centre mid and they didn't get drawn out. Like it would have been very tempting to put on a Van der Beek or Pogba to just press home and get that final third pass going. But they were smart. Solskjaer was like, no, if I've got this intensity in midfield, I'll keep it here because bring on Van der Beek or Pogba invites, invites pressure mm. that United didn't necessarily want. And what was interesting in this game was I saw them switching the ball right to left. They didn't do that much in the last few games. They switched the ball all over the field and they were so patient. Like they were almost like, we're going to walk the ball into the net. We have to. So I think the result was a bit brutal for Southampton considering all the factors they were experiencing. I think that the result was impressive for United, but not one they should get carried away with. Yeah, and I think Ole Gunnar Solskjaer knows that. Yeah, no, that he does. I think course, he's, I think, and I, I think this is different to the Leicester game because yes, the, just the sheer volume of players that they had unavailable. Yeah. The amount of academy players they had on the bench, two goalkeepers just to fill the bench. This is, I mean, and a red card in the second minute. I think, yeah, they could have been a little bit more street smart once that happened and just try to go full damage limitation mode. Yes. And I think that's probably the only real problem I have with the Southampton performance is that they didn't do that. But I think that happens when you have a whole host of really experienced players not in the side. And you know what it's like. I think we've referenced it before, either on Wright's house or on here before, where there's a bit of a swell, you know, in like liquid terms. Yeah. And you just can't escape what's happening. Like we've played in games, even at the level we play at, where that's happened, where you're like, what's going on? Someone needs to just like, hit the reset button here and you can't do it. And it's just, you can see the game going away from you. And I think in a situation like that, where was, I think that red card was quite heavily loaded because obviously it was a dreadful tackle, the Yankovic one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a terrible tackle. Yeah. First of all, like, as soon as McTominay was okay, you kind of then thought, well, shit, this is a really young kid here who's made his debut and he's made a really poor decision probably based on being too hyped adrenaline like an adrenaline rip. which but you can understand that from a human point of view right and yeah it was like two things can be the same thing like you can criticize the tackle and it was a dreadful dreadful tackle but you can also have some kind of sympathy with someone who isn't experienced at that level has come into a situation a little bit overhyped made a misjudgment and Thankfully, but Tomine is okay because that yeah. could have been really nasty. But yeah. you said something when we were on the phone on Wednesday where so you just feel a real sadness that he's going to 
maybe carry that for a little bit as well, which is a real shame. It's just a sad, it's just a sad situation. There's no, I'm not kind of excusing anyone from yeah, no, blame or anything, no, yeah, but it's yeah. just a bit of a sad situation. But I think that the goal that seemed to kill it for me was the, was the Bednarek own goal. Yeah. Yeah. That third one, mm. when it came, it was a bit like, okay, this is going to be big now. Look at the season that's been right. And you've, and we've not really had a result like this really. I mean, probably the Villa Liverpool game was yeah, the biggest yeah. equivalent so yeah, far yeah. in terms of shock. That was more of a shock as well. Yeah. With the personnel and stuff, I think, I think you're right. But the amount of, the amount of variables that had to come together at the same time to make this result happen, there's no way it will happen. Yeah. If the second red doesn't happen, it's not 9-0. No. I don't think the second red, Benderet red was a red at all. And maybe we'll, we'll use it to transition into the Arsenal game because there was a similar one with the David Luiz red card where I don't think either of those challenges are red cards. I understand why people pull out the letter of the law to explain why it is a red card, but also this is why I think this is where I think people get it a little bit twisted because the law isn't there for people who are trying to get out of the way of something and end up bringing someone down. Yeah, it's, it's not, there. Not. It's there for someone who has made a delib a deliberate attempt to foul someone and not to play the ball. Yes, yes, absolutely. So therefore, like, neither of them are reds. You made a really good point. Because, I mean, you look at like the David Luiz thing, it's just, it's a tragedy. And I, I feel really sad for David Luiz with that red card. Genuinely sad because it just opens the door to all those old criticisms. Yeah, I mean, he's got, I, I, I tweeted that he got sent, if you're going to send him off on rep, which is basically what Peter Walton said at halftime on BT, send him off in the warm-up. It was too easy for all those jokes to start again. I just thought, this is a dreadfully unlucky thing. And you made a great point with Berlin's red, but Leno you know, getting that red. He was outside the box and you made a great point. He was beaten Oh yeah, we were talking about this because we had a couple of, um, let's, yeah. let's just, let's just yeah. hit a, just, just bring in the questions on that because yeah, yeah, yeah. we had a few people asking about Leno's red. Yeah. Um, well, Michael Cotton said, what were Louise and Bednarek actually supposed to do? Yeah, yeah. Honorary Stadio President. Sedentary Gary, yeah. Said, was Leno's sending off the most existential red of the season? <laughs> I was being silly. It wasn't really. It wasn't. You were being silly because yeah. I told you to stop it on Twitter. Yeah, and everyone was. Everyone came after me. <laughs> uh, Michael says, "What the f was Leno thinking?" Also, I'm quite new to the pod, so not sure on the parameters. Was it an existential red? No. Okay, it's, so it's... no, Leno's wasn't an existential red, and you were about to carry on a point. So. Well, an existential red is basically when you get a red card, you just kick out to feel something. So a good example of that was, like, so basically, if a, if a team is losing five nil. And it's normally someone like Arturo Vidal hacks out at a player. So then th- 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 they get booked for it or yet or read for it. That's an existential card. They basically get booked to like make an impact. Mm. So I think the best example of existential was the one I always use with, I think it was Vidal in the first half, the Champions League final 2015, where he just like, gets, gets, yeah. he gets a book because he gets booked. He like hacks someone because there's nothing else he can do. Because he's like, why am I here? Yeah. Whereas the Leno thing, uh, the great point you made was, it was a horrible bounce. The ball skipped up off the turf. He came off his line and just got the angles not quite right. But it yeah, also... It's just a, that was, yeah. a pure, it was a pure reflex thing with Leno. The ball skipped yeah. off off the turf really fast because yeah. it was wet. And I think he knows that he's misjudged it ever so slightly. And the ball's going past him and it's going in. That's why he's put his arm there. I don't think it's any deeper than that. To be honest. I don't think it's like, oh my God, what the hell was he thinking? I think mm. it's actually just reflex. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's fair. Um, and the Louis thing is just tragic. And I... I I've always said this with football, there's such a danger of drawing the wrong conclusion from results. 
And I think, you know, what you take from that as an Arsenal fan, not that I'm an Arsenal fan, but I'd look at that and say, well, great to see Nicolas Pepe enjoying himself, playing with freedom. And you know what? It's Wolves. Wolves have maybe lulled people into thinking they're not a team people deserve to lose to anymore. I think that's happened a lot this year. They've had some results that haven't been great. The loss of Diego Jota was big for them. So Wolves have lost quite a bit of firepower. So they've, they've forced people into thinking that a loss to Wolves is like losing to, I mean, put it this way, Leverkusen lost to a fourth division team in the, in the Pokal, Hortweiss Essen, right? That is a, that's a bad result, right? Losing to Wolves is not a bad result. It happens. It happens. They're a good team. And Jean Martino has got a really good CV, right? So mm. I don't know. I just felt like, um, and also like one thing else at Arsenal as well, because he did two goals in a game, which is not something they do very often. No, they've had a really good defensive record recently. Yeah. yeah. And I think also yeah. if you think two goals in the game, one of them was a penalty, which result, you know, I think, I mean, the penalty goes in, it's 1-1 and Arsenal still have 11 men if David Luiz doesn't get sent off. And yeah. like, Martinho scores an absolute wonder goal. Yeah. But I think that the psychological aspect of losing, losing a player right on the stroke of half time mm. and conceding an equaliser is, you know, it then affects Arsenal's whole second half. They have to bring on Gabriel for Lacazette. Um, they have to take off Pepe to bring on Aubameyang to in, for the last half hour. Yeah. Leno then gets sent off. So Runnison comes on. You don't see Odegaard, which I think is a shame. I think he comes on in that game yeah, if yeah. everything is running smoothly. I think the thing about this game for Arsenal is that actually it's very, very easy to pinpoint where they lost the game for reasons kind of a little bit beyond their control and some that were within their control. So for me, actually, I was a little bit annoyed about the decision, well, especially the David Luiz one. Yeah. The Leno one, it kind of happens sometimes. Poor judgment, and he'll be really—I mean, he'll be really annoyed at himself about it. But I think that defeat is easier to take than it would have been if, say, Arsenal had just had eleven players on the pitch for the whole game and just not done anything. And can I be brutally honest? Look who else lost this week. Look who else lost. Villa lost. Yeah. Spurs lost to Brighton. Like other teams have had results that are less than desirable. So I mean, Liverpool lost to Brighton as well. Yeah, there are certain weeks in the Premier League where it's better to lose than others. And this isn't the worst of weeks to lose, I would say, from mm. Arsenal's perspective. Just quickly before we move on from the red cards, this one from Patrick Corcoran. Was Mike Dean predestined to brandish two red cards after seeing Craig Pawson's performance in Wolves versus Arsenal? Did, Never yeah. one to be upstaged, Did, Mike this Dean. Is, this is like when Messi and Ronaldo play on the same weekend. <laughs> <laughs> Ronaldo scores three and Messi scores four yeah, the yeah. following day. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on to Liverpool nil, Brighton one. We had a number of questions on Brighton. Oh, I want yeah, yeah. to just raise a point about Brighton. Yeah. Because, you know, I need all the evidence I can get from my nonsense theories. <laughs> so since Graham Potter came out and made a point about ditching the tracksuit, before that, Brighton had won two of their previous 17 games. Graham Potter announced that he was ditching the tracksuit for a more, say, smart casual. Mm. Touchline, sartorial look. Played seven, won five, drawn one, lost one. And they've beaten Spurs and Liverpool in that time. The only defeat came to Manchester City. So I'm not saying it matters, but... It absolutely matters. It absolutely matters. I think, no, I think it's... I'm all in on this theory. And it's like Brighton are getting the wins that they deserved earlier in the season. Or they deserve these wins too. But they're getting... They're finally getting the results that match their performances. 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, this is the thing, like I'm obviously semi-tongue-in-cheek about the tracksuit stuff, but I think that their underlying numbers were way too good for where they were in the first half of the season. They yeah, just yeah, were. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. And stylistically, you could see, well, you've seen over the last season and a half that Graham Potter has changed Brian quite, quite dramatically, actually. I don't think in a couple of years' time, we could be sitting here and say that the Graham Potter appointment at Brighton could have been as transformative as Potch to Southampton. Because think about it, when Potch went to Southampton at the time, Nigel Adkins didn't really deserve to get fired. Mm. And Chris Hewton didn't really deserve to get fired. They did nothing particularly wrong, I don't think. That's right, yeah, that's right, yeah. However, as it stands at the moment for Brighton and as it stood at the time for Southampton, you can't argue with either decision. Well, Brighton have brought in Moises Caicedo as well. Oh, yes, they have. That's extremely interesting. I'm very hyped about that signing. That's such an incredible signal to other players that Brighton is a pipeline to Premier League where you can go and play your football. And there were some difficult issues around signing Caicedo. You know, there's a load of intermediaries involved, but Brighton base just cut through that and went for it. And what I love about this move for him is that I think it's, it's an amazing size club for you to go and really just play your football. Mm. You've got a great mix of um, professionals at different stages of their careers in that dressing room. You can come in and just do your thing. It's, it's exciting for him. And also, I think the way that the club is run is really positive for a Premier League side. Yeah, I love it. But I think they have like a real focus on kind of human aspect of it as well. Graham Potter seems like a really, really good guy to play for. I know that a lot of the, the methods that they have there outside of pure performance, I think are quite forward thinking for a Premier League football club. And I just think it's a really, it's, like you say, it's a really, really good club to play for. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we had loads of love for Graham Potter. And uh, one from Jack Simpson said, Graham Potter, arguably the league's most hipster manager. Any reason he can't overshadow shadow Hasenhutl, Bielsa, etc. I think the great thing about the Premier League, we, you, you said this numerous times, Musa, about how, how deep the quality of coaching goes. I just think it's really great to see a English manager, not for any other reason, mm-hmm. not for, because he's English, but I think it's just good to see young English managers emerging within the league mm-hmm. and one who took quite an interesting path to get to the Premier League. Yeah. Obviously, this is, we've talked all about Brighton. They deserve full credit for this. I'm not surprised by their victories because even in the games they lost this year, they pushed very, you know, really quite good teams, very close and had the better of them. United, they beat 3-2 before United had fully become what they are now, but they were much the better side for much of that game. The thing I'll say about Liverpool very quickly is my concern with Klopp is that he builds momentum from the back with his team, but the midsection of this team, there is no dynamism. So you have a midfield three of Wijnaldum, Milner and Thiago, and that is an invitation, Ryan. Mm. That is an invitation. When you see a midfield of that three, you think if we can occupy somehow the, the front three of Liverpool, and we're not looking at Firmino as a goal threat. If we're being really cynical, a team playing Liverpool now says, okay, Firmino is not a devastating goal threat. He can score, but he's not a devastating goal threat. What we have to do is we have to like close the wide areas. Let's get the ball out of the middle quick get the ball clear of midfield and break. Because against that midfield, you've got to say you fancy your chances. You have to say Milner, Wijnaldum and Thiago doesn't have enough drive from the base. We saw this happen with, with Bayern Munich, actually, when Leipzig went out. The only thing that changed that was when Musiala came on. And I'm really amazed that we don't see more of Curtis Jones in the midfield three. Like I said to someone yesterday, he said, what's wrong with Liverpool right now? As a Liverpool fan, I said, well, to be honest with you, Liverpool, uh, Man City have got four in form, number eights, Gundogan, De Bruyne, Foden and Bernardo. Liverpool have 
Curtis Jones and they're not even playing Curtis Jones as an eight, right? And you've got, they bring on Oxlade. Naby Keita has not really, like for various reasons, it hasn't worked, that signing. So Liverpool have no drive for midfield to replace the drive they've lost from the centre-backs. And mm. that's why I think this is happening. Yeah, I mean, the, just the balance of this, their starting eleven is all over the place. It's not good. Yeah, it's, it's just all good. over the place. And it's not just the centre. This is the thing. It's not just the centre back. It's just not. No, and I think that if you look at the Liverpool side last season, which looked kind of invincible at points, right? It was like looking at a FIFA Ultimate Team. Yeah, and all of the connecting lines were bright green. Right. on chemistry. Yeah. The overall kind of balance and strength of the starting 11 or the 11 that was on the pitch at any one time could accommodate alternate pieces. At the moment, there's just too much too much stuff out of whack. A side as good as Liverpool or a side as good as Manchester City uh, or a side as good as Manchester United, when you shift a few pieces out of that and the balance goes, the rest of the teams in the Premier League, even the sides that came up really, will cause you massive problems we have never seen a period like this ever this doesn't mean that necessarily you can just throw all analysis out the window but we're judging each result as we would do in seasons past and we just can't we just can't do it like that because you're asking these people to play an obscene amount of football in such a condensed space of time with all of these added uh, mental pressures and it's Mm. like if you take those things and you take an unbalanced side or an understrength side, or, you know, we have no idea what the physical condition is of the players who are starting for Liverpool, really, because we don't have access to the data. You know, do you remember Arsene Wenger used to always bang on about the red zone? Yeah, yeah. Like, how many of these Liverpool players that are even starting are in the red zone? Combined fatigue. Look how much football they've played. They've been pretty it. much... Liverpool have basically received everyone's best shot for the last three years. Since the, since the Champions League final against it's Real Madrid, yeah. when, people st- when people first started paying attention to Liverpool, when, when I say first started paying attention, because people were laughing, ha they got to the final, they lost. But here's the thing. People got very, very respectful and quiet when Liverpool got to that Champions League final. People became very respectful because it was like, this team is for real. And since then, everyone has gone at their necks. And then it's very, like, no team of Liverpool's quality has ever had to sustain the kind of assault they have had to sustain with a pandemic being the third season that everyone's coming for you, right? So Liverpool basically mm. like had three years of going flat out and everyone coming at them. And now the pandemic year comes and everyone is like, we fancy a piece of that. It's feasting. It's like feasting. Yeah, man. It's like, do you know what? It's like, it's like, it's like that bit in Endgame where like, you know, Spurs or someone like that are like sat down uh, with their dreadlocks laughing with a bloody mouth. And then fucking Brighton turn up and the hammer goes past them and Graham Potter, <laughs> Graham Potter's got the hammer and then a load of people are like, oh shit, oh shit, oh my God. So you're saying, oh Liverpool, was sitting, you're saying Liverpool was sitting there like Thanos with his sword. Just yeah. Wait. Yeah, they were, they were. Do you know what it is with Liverpool now? It's, this is fascinating. I'm thinking tactically. Liverpool's peak, they were basically playing an old school 2-3-5. You had the two centre-backs and because they were so amazing at covering ground, you could push the three up the midfield and then you could push the full-backs basically almost to the touchline. In some cases, where they were crossing from, when Liverpool attacked, they almost attacked in a 2-3-5 because look how high up those two full-backs were. They were, like, they were like wingers, right? They were like, so you had that front five pressing you and you had those two full-backs basically on the touchline. When you were facing that, that was suffocating. Didn't there, there were some goals when Fabregas was at his peak Arsenal would score where you almost felt like the goalkeepers, the defenders conceded just to get a breather. 
Mm. You, know, you know, it's just like, it's just, yeah. oh, thank God we've conceded. You know, you're not meant to admit it, but sometimes when <laughs> sometimes a team concedes, you see the players, they're like, okay, it's less stressful now. <laughs> At least we've got this slow walk back to it's the slow walk, Exactly, exactly. <laughs> it's like when you're doing like weight training, you have those intervals. It's like an interval. <laughs> and conceding against peak Arsenal, Liverpool, I think felt like an interval. Whereas now the intensity is obviously dropped. And we've said this a thousand times, the Premier League is a copycat league. The second one team, it's like those alien invasion movies, when they work out, when, when one country was going to beat the aliens, they send the blueprint around all the other countries going, this is how you beat the aliens. And Liverpool basically had that one defeat to Villa. Actually, I think we've said this before, Bielsa started it. Bielsa was like, go at their necks. That first game and Leeds lost 4-3. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It set the blueprint. It was, it was, honestly. I think my top five, my top five moment of the league, maybe my favourite moment so far, is still Leeds playing Man City at Ellen Road. When De Bruyne is about to play his through ball, <laughs> someone steals it from him. And the look on his face at the disrespect, he's like, I'm Kevin De Bruyne. <laughs> no one steals my through balls. <laughs> Felt like a hobbit stealing the ring or something. I loved it. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Well, let's just quickly wrap up the rest of the Premier League. A good win for Palace. Yep, yep. Away at Newcastle. Mm. Sheffield United won again, which is really big for them. Um, we did have a question from Leo Watkins. You know, Leo, he was so angry that time when we talked about Chelsea and not West Brom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember, I remember. We feel bad and we're going to give him the title of honorary Stadio West Brom fan. Yes. Is that fair with you? You good for absolutely, that? We're signing uh, that off? Yeah, that's absolutely fine. Absolutely fine. Okay, we signed it off. So Leo... Uh, congratulations or commiserations I don't know which one is the, which is the best <laughs> if you don't want it feel free to re- reject it it's like a you know it's like a knighthood <laughs> Leo says can we just accept that large Samuel <laughs> I like that large Samuel is out of touch with modern football I mean I think it's quite hard for a manager to get back into a Premier League job after the break that he had I don't know I think that, I think the thing about Sam which is, often, is a bit of a misconception actually and I don't want to dwell too long on Sam because we've got quite a lot to get through but People don't give him enough credit for actually how forward-thinking he was back in the days at Bolton. Yeah, and stuff like that. he was actually a very forward-thinking manager. I think as he's got older, post England gig, I think that's he kind of doubled down on the footballing elites and all of this kind of stuff. The thing about West Brom and what they're going through, this is no disrespect. You don't have the resources and the pieces. You don't have the margin for error. This is the thing. You can bail yourself out if you're Chelsea. You can go. You've got that firepower. You can dig into that reserve. And the challenge for teams like Sheffield United and West Brom is that every single game of the season they win, they'll deserve it. And it's always a really bad thing as a team when the only games you win are games you deserve, right? Mm. The key to win this league is to win games, to steal games, steal victories through, you know, through talent, reserves of talent you've got or, or energy or extra. And I tend to be sympathetic to managers. I tend to believe that pretty much every manager in the Premier League is, is maximizing their resources to a certain extent. Yeah, especially at the moment. Yeah, yeah. Like, like I just, I, I don't want to be too harsh on Allardyce because he's just got there and there are a lot of challenges there. And also as well, frankly, the Sheffield United have shown, they beat United at Old Trafford and people laughed at that. And I get it. It's fine. Like top, you know, bottom beats top. You've got to laugh. It's the banter. I get it. 
at the same time, Sheffield United then go to City and only lose by a single goal. So what's mm. happening? Oh, maybe Wilder is adapting to this season. Maybe he's working it out. So actually, it's very easy sometimes to look at games in isolation and laugh at them. But I think if you look at the course of the results, Sheffield United, something is changing and happening in there. And Wilder is, is adapting to the demands of this, of this division in this, this season. So I don't know. I'm going to, I mean, um, I think I'll give uh, Allardyce a bit of slack there to be honest. Manchester City beat Burnley 2-0. It was done in the first I mean, yeah. first half. Gundogan is just lights out at the moment. He's just Wild. playing so, so well. Fulham lost at home 2-0 to Leicester City. Madison was, hey, he was, play, he was balling out. Beautiful assist. Leeds against Everton. I mean, this game was brilliant, I thought. I also just loved, you see Andre Gomez slide tackle Bielsa. Bielsa's dressing <laughs> is amazing. <laughs> Bielsa's just, I just, I know, I know, you know, all of the red top chief football writers will think I'm a fucking hipster, but I just love Bielsa so much, man. I love him so much. I just yeah. love everything about him. I want to be near him. I want to be near him. Bielsa reminds me of someone you invite to a Christmas dinner and all your young cousins end up really fussing over. Yeah, but this was such a good game, man. And um, two really good goals as well from Everton. And Rafinha's goal was good as well. I thought, yeah, this was... Wholesome. All the vitamins in that game. And again, like no no harm in losing at home to this this Everton side. Calvert-Lewin as well, showing out. Great to see. Yeah, he had that one chance though. I think in the second half that I thought he would have put away. Mm, given his form. His run for that was actually amazing. I want to talk to Wright about this because the timing of his run where he was, do you remember, they were kind of breaking, I think on a three-on-three yeah, yeah. Everton was or three-on-two. With a bit of he was, he, he was basically running straight down the middle. Mm. And then the timing of when he decided to angle his run across the defenders right, was right, just okay, so perfect. Yep, it just, yep. yeah. However, we should big up West Ham who continues to do great things under David Moyes. They do, they do. Two goals for Jesse Lingard on his debut and he looked like he's already having a lovely time. I'm just really happy from playing in that pocket just behind um, yeah. the front man. Like he plays, they played in a 4-2-3-1 and he played as a second strike, actually very much like a kind of Deli Alley role. Deli Alley playing off the main man and just using that space to run beyond. And that suits Lingard so well. There's a great moment, I think it was Mihal Antonio for the second goal that Lingard scored. So it was 3-1 to um, West Ham over there. It was obviously a great man in any, in any scale, but the run that he made, I really loved it because you had him running in support of Antonio just uh, breaking on the right. And that's just like, that's like the Pedro man that Pedro made at Barca. Mm. Just, you're, you're running a counterattack. You're not necessarily setting up. You're like part of the kind of attacking fleet. And that suits him. Like, and the, the lower amount of pressure at West Ham, the lower amount of scrutiny will just allow him to play his football in peace. And I think he'll end up being a fan favourite there. And the beauty is that he brings that experience. You know, I think he's not the kind of player that brings a, a, big, a, big, a big team ego. You look at the way they celebrated with him. Look at the way that like Mark Noble like grabbed his head and rubbed his head like he was yeah. like, a, like it was that affectionate. And he did it again. He did it like twice at the end. He did it the first time. Then he goes, oh, come back here. And I was like, yeah, you know what? He's already beloved. That's super important. I think it's great for him. And people might say, I saw some comments going, oh, like United fans are looking across. But they're actually not. Like, no. People understood what Lingard gave to United. They understood that this was always the thing. That that, that forward line is so stacked, right? Mm. It's so, so stacked. If you look at all those players, they're absolute peak. And this is no disrespect. Those are generational talents. Mason Greenwood, Marcus Rashford. You have Edinson Cavani in there. You're, you're, you're kind of like five or six in the pecking order. So you either stay 
in that team and try to get the odd game here or there, or you go somewhere or you will start regularly. He's a very moist player, actually. Tactically disciplined, strong defensive shift, plays well on the break, has an eye for a goal. Lingard joining West Ham, the experience that he brings is the experience that a lot of players in that squad will not have had. The amount of learning able to do, like, you know, playing a Champions League game, scoring vital goals in huge matches, which he's done at the highest level. That is, he brings all of that. And like, so him just being in that dressing room, forget, here's the thing. If Lingard got um, a muscle injury tomorrow and put him out for a couple of weeks, he would still contribute a huge amount because he's the kind of player you can imagine turning up on his day off. You know, he's one of the few people, Lingard, that leaves his club and doesn't leave all the most fun WhatsApp groups. Yeah. You know, he's, 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 he's the kind of player you look at. And this is why actually, in a funny way, it's why Lingard had a really terrible run of form. There was a relative silence about him. Like mm. were, you never even thought people going after him because I think he's a player who people root for. And it's really important, Ryan. People don't realize this. There are certain people, you see it in music as well. Like you see it in the arts. There are some people who go through a bad patch and because they're so beloved, you know, there are some actors who like, they do a couple of bad movies, right? But no one goes after them because it's like, they're just having a bad run of it. They'll get back. So props to West Ham, props to Jesse. Let's stay in England briefly because it was the Conti Cup semi-finals this week. Chelsea and Bristol City going through to the final. Scary. Yeah, Chelsea look mm, kind of inevitable. They beat West Ham 6-0. Uh, Pili Lahada hat-trick. Uh, they've just got way too much firepower. And I just think and that... Ingle as well. Ingle can still kill you from distance. This is the thing. That team is... Yeah, but like, if we said this before on Righty's House, we've said this before a million times on Stadio in the last year or so, it's like when you could bring Beth England off the bench, that kind of talent with the league's best manager as well, Yeah, it's an elite setup there. Yeah. So yeah, like I said, they beat West Ham 6-0. They go through to the final to face Bristol City, who beat Leicester 1-0. First of all, let's talk about the football. We had a question from Jess Malone. Do Bristol City have a chance against Chelsea in the Conti Cup final or will we be in for an afternoon of sad Drake memes? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they do have a chance in the sense that it's a cup final. Anything can happen. True. At the same time, what do they have to do? I think what they've got to do, the key for Bristol City is, it's an obvious point, but I think it's, it bears repeating. Just don't concede early. Mm. Really be fanatical about not conceding early. Make Chelsea attack you from distance. Yeah, they can't, they can't let Chelsea get in behind them at all. Yeah. If you lose they from can't. a world, if you get Ingle, if Ingle or loopholes or GCR releases one from 25 yards and it's good night, then fine. But let them, yeah. Don't, don't let them have their six, yard, their six yard near post crashing the box tap-ins. Don't let them do that. Let's talk about Emma Hayes. Because yep, yep. there was a story that came out earlier in the week about how AFC Wimbledon were going to make an approach for Emma Hayes. And she came out with what looked like, I mean, to be honest, I didn't really massively disagree with what she was saying. But she came out and clarified some comments about the AFC Wimbledon gig in which she said, well, she said, basically, I'm just reading from Susie Rack, Guardian piece, uh, Emma Hayes blasted the press for manipulating her words and attacked the use of inflammatory language to infer that she insulted AFC Wimbledon. Mm. Hayes said that AFC Wimbledon are a wonderful club that are local to, the, to their community and one that is dear to everyone's hearts at Chelsea. Mm. And she said, uh, first of all, she'd never spoken to Wimbledon. Mm. She never got offered the job and her words were, it is not a step down to coach Chelsea women. It's an insult to suggest otherwise. She says, the point I was making yesterday is that football's for everyone. It's not for the privileged. It's not for the few. It's not for the elite. Football is represented by a diverse society and football does not represent the diverse society we live in. 
I sincerely hope AFC Wimbledon find the right person for their football club. The whole point about them not being able to afford me has nothing to do with money, but everything to do with the fact that I'm in the best job in the world and no amount of money is going to tempt me away from it. Yeah. Yeah. The Don has spoken, everyone. You may leave. You're working with some of the greatest forwards to ever play football, who will ever, mm-hmm. like, they'll be talking about this forward line. Like 20 years from now, they'll be looking at this forward line going, these are, you know, England, Kerr and Harder. That's extraordinary. Those are like, they are that, that level, right? They mm-hmm. are. They're going to be, that's a forward line you'll look at 20 years from now. But Chelsea could very much end up, depending on what happens with the FA Cup, they could end up this season with a quadruple. Yeah. This team is absolutely stacked. And the, the quality is not just the results they're getting. It's actually watching them, the, the experience of coaching them, you know, who they've added. They, they, they were already outstanding last year and they added like extraordinary pieces to that team. Mm-hmm. It's just a joy to manage that. You know, it, why would you step away from that? I don't see, I don't see that. Um, so yeah, great, great that she came out and said that. Yep, I agree. Let's quickly dart around Europe. So we're going to do a Coppa Italia next week because it was the first legs this week. Ronaldo wasn't happy about coming off. Ooh, did you see that? He was not happy, Bunny. I think he's, he was on, I think it was because he was on the hat trick. Right, right. he was on two goals. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and PLO was just like, I don't care. Look at my hair. Fair enough. I do what I want. <laughs> um, always watch it, Atalanta, unless it's in the uh, Coppa Italia. Nil-nil draw away at Napoli, which is actually a pretty good result for Atalanta. They, um, so the return legs are next Tuesday and Wednesday. Also, like, yeah, Napoli, um, they hauled Atalanta of the Coles last time. It was 4-1. They did. So yeah. you know, that's not the worst, not the worst. Yeah. Juve beat Inter 2-1 at San Siro. Came from a goal down, Cristiano Ronaldo penalty, and then a second for Cristiano Ronaldo just before halftime. So yeah, we'll cover the second legs and who goes through next week. In the DFB Pokal, it was absolute carnage. Why? It was wild, wild. <laughs> it was absolute carnage. So in summary, Holstein Kiel went through against Darmstadt. They went through on penalties. Holstein Kiel, who eliminated Bayern in the previous round. Right, right. Fourth tier, Rotweiss Essen, knocked out up till recently title contenders by a Leverkusen. They lost their first game of the season against Bayern on December the 19th. And their form since then has been five defeats, two wins and a draw. That's relegation form. It's not great. It's horrible. And they, they, the finishing in this game was absolutely awful. Absolutely, absolutely. It, it, really, that, wobbled, it really threw them that Bayern result, I think. It did. I think it did because it's the way they lost it, Ryan. I remember watching the mm. game and thinking, you beat yourselves. It was really, really sad. Like the goals they conceded, both in that Bayern game, I keep looking back to it. They were just needless concessions. So yeah, Leverkusen, I think, just never really recovered from that, as you say. Back to this game. I mean, like it went to extra time. It was 0-0 for the first 90 minutes. Yeah. Leon Bailey scored for Leverkusen. Mm. Brooke Vicesson came from behind, got two goals in nine minutes towards the end of the second half of extra time. Yeah. Three minutes to go with the winner. And they went absolutely wild. Fourth division team. I mean, this is an unbelievable result for Essen. Absolutely unbelievable. The non-surprising results, uh, Leipzig went through against Bochum, 4-0. Wolfsburg beat Schalke, 1-0. Gladbach beats Stuttgart, 2-1 in Stuttgart, which is a good result for Gladbach, actually. Oh my goodness. But I will say, Stuttgart, watch out. For those watching, Silas Romangatuka has now scored two of the best solo goals of the season in successive games. He scored one yep. against Mainz that was mind-blowing. Mm-hmm. And he scored one against Gladbach. Mind-blowing. Mind-blowing. <laughs> and he scored one against Marco Rosatine that was Gladbach-tacular. So yeah, check it out. It's unbelievable. Oh, look at you. Yeah, indeed. I think he's gone in the summer. 
He only just turned 21 in October. Yeah, I think and they'll get big money for him as well. Yeah, what a player. Werder Bremen beat Greuther Furt 2-0. I nearly said Zweinul then. Zweinul. Uh, <laughs> and Jan Regensburg knocked out Cologne on penalties and Borussia Dortmund knocked out Paderborn with two... Right. <laughs> VAR decisions in this game, both of these games, which were absolutely wild. Yeah. Stefan Baumgart had a little bit of a kickoff with the referee because of Haul- the, the decision for Haaland's goal. The decision not for it, for it not to be given offside because of a slight touch on the defender mm. that then went to Haaland. And in the Cologne game, there was a goal disallowed, I think, for 3-1 for Cologne, right? Uh, where a defender cleared the ball out and it was deemed that it wasn't a deliberate clearance. Wow. The Haaland one could have been given offside. The Cologne one shouldn't have been given offside, but they gave it offside. So from the restart, then Regensburg went straight up the other end and equalised, which took it to penalties. The, the only consolation is that it's not, that, it's not a humiliating result because Regensburg aren't, you know, they're not the worst side. Is that, uh, yeah. They're not, no. Yeah. But, and also, if I'm being honest, yes, Pokal runs are really, really fun, but Cologne have got big problems in yeah. the league this season. You know, they're only a point ahead of Armenia Bielefeld in the relegation playoff. So they need to focus on the league. I don't think it's the worst thing in the world to be out of the Pokal, although it is obviously very kind of yeah, disappointing. Yeah. Before we move on to the Copa del Rey, uh, let's talk about Marseille because yeah, yeah, okay. AVB is gone in one of the wildest things I've seen for a while for a top level side. Marseille were running for the league in what, December? They've won one of their last nine games or one of their last eight and they're struggling and they have not been playing well, and it's started to get a little bit more chaotic. So the club president, A-Road, basically uh, has been trying to reshape the club, fired a load of staff. Marseille Ultras went wild at the training ground the other day in protest. B.S. Boris basically didn't want to sign Olivier Encham. He woke up, they'd signed him. He said that he didn't want the player, and he said no, and he offered his resignation, which... Marseille didn't accept. If Marseille had accepted his resignation, they could have got off without paying him any money. But they rejected his resignation, suspended him, and then fired him, which I think means that they do have to pay him money. Maybe they wanted the catharsis of sacking him. Is that an existential fire? It's a cathartic sacking. <laughs> I think it's an existential <laughs> resignation. Sassy. I think it's a cathartic so, yeah. sacking and existential resignation. There you go. Marseille, my strange, goodness. Strange departure, that's. But in Liga. Lille continued their good run of form. They're still top. Uh, PSG won this week as well. Quickly in the Copa del Rey, Barca were 2-0 down at Granada. Yeah. Griezmann got them back in it. Another messy assist. Jordi Alba assisted by Griezmann. Griezmann gave Barcelona the lead, assisted by Jordi Alba. Right. Granada equalised through a penalty. Frankie Dion goal machine. Frankie Dion is turning into the poacher that I think Barcelona hoped Martin Brathwaite would be. That's so funny. Yeah, yeah. We're saying it's like a false, a false yeah. nine. <laughs> it's really like the amount of tap-ins Frankie's got in the last few yeah, weeks. Really amazing. Yeah, field. Yeah, definitely. And then Jordi goal. Albert got the clincher. Gorgeous goal. What a goal. Like from across from Antoine Griezmann. And the pass from Griezmann outside of the left foot. Griezmann was really good in this game, man. And I think that he's been, we've said it before, but he's been improving quite a lot this season, I think, as he's been moved more centrally. Post-Messi and post-Busquets Barcelona really quite excites me. I really like it. I really like the football they're going to play. You can see already the roles people will take up. Pedri, De Jong, Dembele, Mtiti had a difficult game, but you know, he's coming back to fitness and form. They've got some really nice pieces. I mean, they're Barca, like they're going to be fine. 
and it's going to be exciting. In the other games, Levante knocked out Villarreal and Sevilla went through against Almeria. We're recording this ahead of Betis uh, Athletic, which is probably the pick of the ties, I think. Yeah, yeah. Uh, quickly before we go, do you want some analysis from Dad? Yeah. Text to be after uh, Wednesday night, Premier League. What did he say? He said, I love this. Peak minimalist analysis. <laughs> so Wednesday night, my dad texted me, five Premier League games, full stop. Five away wins, full stop. I love that. I love that. More please, Mr. Hun. We love it. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> Hope you're well, Dad. <laughs> so yeah, well, there you go. Dad's thoughts on the midweek games. Yep, yeah, yeah. Always appreciated. Don't forget, you can check us on Twitter at Stadio. You can yep, yep. check us on Instagram at Stadio Football. Go to theringer.com forward slash soccer to check Moose's piece and yep, yep. the ringer in general. Some great written work. There's some great basketball stuff going up at the moment. Oh my goodness. Lights out. If you're an NFL fan, there'll be loads of stuff around the Super Bowl going up. Mm. Shouts to the Ringer crew. Obviously, you can read Moose's piece from this week. Um, oh, yeah. If you do listen to us on a podcast app that allows you to rate and review, please do so. That would be lovely if you yep, can. Yep. Unless it's going to be really mean and then just tweet at Okwango. <laughs> you can tell, <laughs> him. <laughs> yeah, you can find tell him all the thoughts. Just tweet at Okwango if you have any complaints or recommendations for changing the podcast. And Absolutely. Just, yep, yep. Uh, you know, leave me out of it. That'd be great. <laughs> We're playing out, as we mentioned at the top of the show, on Rising Storm, track called Frozen Laughter. Stay safe and well, everyone. I hope you're hanging in there. Hope you have a lovely weekend. And we'll be back on Monday. See you then. Oh, think of David Luiz walking off the pitch to this song. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>